Romans 3. It's uh, important that we uh, take a look at God's Word and God's Word only when we come together on Sundays to hear from God. Uh, it is my deepest desire that you listen to God this morning, not Pastor Mike. It is my effort, it is my heartfelt deepest prayer to the Lord that any time we preach in this church, whether it's me or a visiting speaker, that we only preach the Word of God, the opinion or understanding of men, always God's Word. And so that, that's what we're going to do this morning. And I say all of that because this is, at least in my opinion, and I believe uh, uh, firmly in this, this is the most important message that the Lord would ever let me bring. It's my favorite sermon to preach. Uh, and we preach it about every six to eight or nine weeks or something like that, uh, and we'll never apologize for that. Because today we're going to look at the cornerstone message of the Bible. The Bible is, of course, uh, our, it's God's owner's manual, if you will, for human beings. It's every question we could ever have about how to live and, and, and what does it mean to know God? Is God even real? All of these, any question you could possibly have is answered in the Bible. But this one message today is the message, if you will, of the Bible. The Bible has much to say about how to handle your money, for example. The Bible will teach you how to be a financial steward, a, a faithful manager of what God has given you. Uh, it teaches us how to be uh, good husbands, good wives, how to be uh, faithful, how to be uh, godly. It teaches us everything in life. It teaches us about our vocabulary and what should be there and what should not be there. It teaches us everything about life. But the entire Bible, front cover to back cover, is always about Jesus. All of it. Even those genealogies in the Old Testament, I like to say, and, and, and they're there for a reason. They are important, and they're important for quite a number of reasons. And they always have at their core teachings about Jesus. And so front cover to back cover of the Bible is always about Jesus, and that means that the central theme or the teaching of the Bible is Jesus, who he is, why he's important, who we are uh, uh, in relationship to him, uh, and, and why, why is Jesus even important? Many people in the world today, and I'll, I'll just speak to the United States. Many people in the United States today profess a belief in God. Even more profess a belief in angels. So when you talk about God, at least half of the population will allow you to do that. But things change suddenly when you talk about Jesus. Far fewer people believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. So as we get into today's message, we need to lay some groundwork. And i got to ask you some questions, and hopefully we can agree on these things. And if you don't, that's okay, too. Hopefully you will by the time we finish today. But we have to understand this. Can we agree that heaven is a real place? Can we agree on that? Go like this if you believe in that. Okay. If heaven is a real place, can we also agree then that God made heaven? Can we agree on that? Okay. I mean, that just makes logical sense to me. 
Julie and I this week got to spend a lot of time with uh, her dad, and her dad is a phenomenal carpenter. The man can build any. You give him a slab of wood, and he makes art. And so we got to watching this old house this week and, an, and a show that goes with it called Ask This Old House. And uh, I'm so ignorant when it comes to this stuff. I don't even know what to ask. It, it's just I, it, it's not good. But we got to watching that show and had a really great time. And it was interesting to me that you look at these houses, some of them built in the early 1900s that they were working on. How do you know somebody built that house? The house is there, right? The house is evidence that there was a builder. Even though I've never met that builder and, and, and something that old, that builder's not around anymore, but that house is evidence that there is a builder. Can we go like that? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, right? So if heaven is a real place, it just makes sense, right? That somebody made it. Well, that somebody is God. And so we've already agreed on that. Now, if God made heaven, and he made it for us to be able to get there, does it not also then make sense that God gets to decide how you get into his heaven? Can we agree on that? God gets to make that. I mean, whoever built the house got to decide who gets to come in and out. When you own a house, you decide who comes and goes, who's welcome and who's not. So God gets to decide who's welcome in his heaven. So if God decides that, then does it not become important that God conveys to us as human beings how to get into his heaven. Does that make sense? Sure it does. You know, I often use the example, my daughter-in-law back there, Jamie, is an athlete, in particular a, a basketball player. She played college basketball, and um, she's not at all competitive. I don't sit next to her when we play games. I come away with bruises most of the time. But... Uh, 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 you know, I used her as an example just a couple of nights ago. She refereed several basketball games over here at Marathon uh, Schools. And there, there's a rule book, is there not, Jamie? And she had to go to school in order to be a referee. She had to pass tests to, to demonstrate that she knows the rules about the game. And she had to study the rule book. So if God makes the rules on how to get into his heaven, does it not just make sense that he conveys those rules to us? just makes sense, doesn't it? Go like this. <laughs> if he conveys those rules to us, then he needs a medium by which to do that, and he has chosen in his sovereignty to give those rules, if you will, th that process to us in his Bible. So that means this, and this is critically important. You need to understand this and hopefully agree with it. If God makes the rules and he conveys the rules to us and he does so through the Bible, that means that I don't get to make the rules on how I get into his heaven. Can we agree on that? Okay. So, if I'm standing here before you today and somebody would ask me, how am I, hey Mike, how are you going to get in God's heaven someday? And I say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I do more good than I do wrong. Is that going to get me into heaven? That's me making the rules. You ask Jamie, a ball player who wants to make up their own rules playing the game, they're going to have fouls called on them. And if you do that enough times, you get thrown out of the game. For whatever reason, this fascinates me. We don't have a problem playing games according to the rules. But for whatever reason, when it comes to heaven and getting into God's heaven, 
We don't like his rules, and we decide we're going to rewrite the rule book. And I'm going to do it myself. Well, friends, we need to understand something from God's Word this morning. Look here in Romans chapter 3, and as we approach God's Word, let's pause and pray and ask His blessing on it. Father, I pray now that as we get into Your Word, that first of all, that we would handle it correctly through the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Father, give everybody here a clear understanding of Your Bible. Help us to accept it and receive it for what it is, Your words. Implanted in our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says this in Romans 3. Now, we just said, I use myself as an example, but if you go out here on the street and ask just about anybody nowadays, how are you going to get into heaven someday? What is the number one answer? I'm a pretty good person, right? That's the number one answer. But look what God has to say about that. In Romans 3, look at verse number 10. As it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. Now, what does righteous mean? You need to understand that word in order to understand what God is saying here. Righteous, in essence, means perfect, without sin, without ever in your lifetime ever having done anything wrong. Righteous means perfect. It means holy. It means separate from anything that is wrong. And the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. Verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Wow, that's not pleasant to see, is it? Well, guess what? It gets even better. Verses 13, if you were to continue on, verses 13 through 17, they give examples of the natural condition of humanity. And friends, let me tell you, it paints an ugly picture. And unfortunately, if you were to read those verses, it would be look like looking into a mirror, at least some of them, maybe not all, but some of them. Friends, the point is this. We are not as good as we think we are. We are not as good as we think we are. And the Bible says this about our good stuff, the things that we do good. The Bible says compared to God, and it's important you understand that, compared to God, it is filthy rags. It's filthy rags. Look at the culmination of that condition in verse 18 now, chapter 3. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why is that important? Because people who don't respect and fear the law don't abide by it. And they're condemning themselves to imprisonment. And friends, here's the reality. It doesn't matter if you like the consequences or not. There are consequences to our choices. Always. Always always there will always be consequences and whether you like them or not doesn't make a bit of difference do you think the judge cares one bit if i go before the let's say detective underwood pins me for something and i go in front of the judge and i go to that judge and say well yeah judge i i i i stole that but i don't i don't like the idea of going to jail i don't think i should have to go to jail is there any judge anywhere that's going to go oh okay now you laugh, but we do the exact same thing with God. Well, God, I don't like your rules. I don't like the consequences of my sin. And so I'm going to rewrite the rule book. Well, no, you're not. 
The Bible says there's no fear of God before their eyes, and that's certainly what we see in our society today. We see an out-and-out militant hatred of God many times. So, why is this important? Go to Romans, uh, uh, go to uh, verse 23 now. And the Bible becomes very blunt and very clear. Verse 23 of chapter 3, the Bible says, For all have, what? Sinned. Sinned. I've never met a person in my life who has a problem with that, ever. I used to work in a, in a, a, a psych hospital. And even there, people didn't, they, they understood that there are times in their lives where they've done something wrong. I've never met anybody in my life that thought they were perfect. I met a guy who thought he was Jesus. But even that guy understood that he had done wrong. Here's, friends, here's where the catch comes. The rest of the verse, for all have sinned. Yeah, okay, so, big deal. And, now that's a connector word. That means, that, that's a cause and effect word. That means this happened, and then this happens as a result. All right? It's A and B. All have sinned, and as a result of that, come short of the glory of God. Now, why is that important, and what does that even mean? Well, to come short means you don't measure up. We don't measure up to God's perfection. Remember, we read a moment ago, there's none righteous. We don't measure up to God's righteous perfection. Okay, so what? So I've sinned, and so I, have, um, I don't measure up to God's perfection. That important because you need to understand this friends look right here God doesn't send anybody to hell God has never sent anybody to hell. the Bible never says that the Bible never preaches that God sends anybody to hell the Bible very clearly right here stated and revealed to me that my sin sends me to hell your sin sends you to hell it condemns you and my sin condemned me Whoa, preacher, why do you say something like that? Well, look with me in chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 23. Romans 6, verse 23, the first part of the verse. Fascinating verse here. The Bible says, for or because the wages of sin is what? death. Now, that's physical death. So, sometimes people will ask the question, why do people have to die? Because of our sin. God never created us to die. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, if humanity had never sinned, Adam and Eve would still be alive on this earth today. Well, right along with all the rest of us. And everybody in front of us would still be here. God never created you to die. The Bible teaches that death exists because of our sin. Now here's what's interesting about that word death. That's not just physical death. That's spiritual death as well. That means that my sin condemned me to hell. And your sin condemned you. Remember there's none righteous. So yeah, you might be a pretty good person. And I guarantee you, frankly, compared to me, you are. But you're not compared to me to get into God's heaven. You're compared to his righteousness. And the Bible already, we started out this morning by understanding there's none righteous. We don't measure up. And our sin has condemned us to hell. Man, oh man, isn't this a pleasant sermon? 
This is not good news so far, is it? But that's the reality. And the reality is, friends, God's the solution. He's not the problem. Our sin is the problem. The Bible reveals to us that we are sinners. And the result of our sin, friends, is condemnation. Look now at the second. Here's, here's where, here comes the good news, okay? You need to have been to a place at some point in your life, maybe it's right now, where you hear that ugly stuff on the front end and you go, wow, that is not pleasant. And I'm in big trouble. Every single human being has to come to that place. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, when, when you're trying to bring somebody to Jesus, you give law to the proud and then you give grace to the humble. We need to humble ourselves before God before we can receive his free gift. And here comes the good news. Now, here's what's fascinating about uh, chapter 6, verse 23 right there. We just read the beginning. The wages of sin is death, right? What's the, one, what's the next word? But, ah, this is a contrast word. That may, a moment ago we read and, remember? This connects to this. This happened and this is the result. But this now is a contrast. Our wa the wages of our sin is death. This is what you deserve. But now all of a sudden it transitions. Now remember what you've earned, the wages. You know what a wage is? A wage is something, it's a paycheck. You earned it. The wages of our sin is death. But the gift, read on now in that, in that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's so much meat in that one phrase. <laughs> it, all of a sudden it goes from being something we've earned to something freely offered to us. You don't, you don't earn a gift, right? If you do, it's not a gift, it's a wage. A gift is something freely giving, given to you. You didn't deserve it. You maybe didn't even ask for it, but it's offered to you. The gift, now where's it coming from? God. The gift of God. And what is it he's offering? Eternal life. A moment ago, we just talked about eternal death. Now he's offering you eternal life and eternity in his heaven and in his kingdom to come. So God is offering you for free a gift. But somebody's got to pay for a gift, right? And that comes on the very end here. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, go back a page or two to chapter 5 and look at verse number 8. Romans 5, verse 8. But God commendeth. What does that mean? Commend means to show, to demonstrate. And it also, uh, in terms of time period, means God has shown in eternity past. He is showing right now. And he always will show and demonstrate for all eternity his love toward us in that, what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So friends, remember, remember, we just read a moment ago, the wages of sin is what? Death. And God offers you the free gift of eternal life because Christ died for us. He took our place. He substituted himself on that cross for me and for you. And it's important that he did that because 
He took our place. The Bible declares that he is the holy lamb of God. The only, he is the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, all at the same time. He lived yet without sin, the Bible teaches, and so he was the only one that could go to that cross for us and shed his blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Our sins can't be dealt with without the shedding of blood and the death of Jesus. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus come? And if you go read the accounts in the Gospels, it was not pleasant what he endured. It was days of agony culminating on that cross. Why would he do that? One word, love. Love. He loved you that much. And he did it for even the vilest of us. It's easy to love the lovable. It's easy to love Andy Seagard. He's just a big teddy bear, and everybody loves Andy. But Pastor Mike's a different story. He's pretty much a dirty, rotten rascal. And then you get people that we all consider to be evil, violent, wicked people. But let me tell you this. Jesus died for them. You know how you do, do battle, by the way? This is just a sidebar this morning. You know how you do battle with Muslims who want to kill and destroy every Christian they ever come across? You pray for them. You pray for them, and if you're ever given the opportunity, you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Because that's where the power is. The power is in God. It doesn't come from us. And friends, if you want to sway the decisions being made in the politics of America, pray. And be obedient to God's word. And start sharing the gospel and winning souls. That's how we do battle. They can't stand against the word of God, friends. God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what needs to be our response to all of this? What do I have to do? Go to Romans 10. Romans 10 and look at verse number 9. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him, Jesus, from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever means even me, John. Whosoever means you. Well, preacher, you just don't get it. You don't know how bad I've been. Well, friend... Apparently, you don't know how good God is. And frankly, you have a pretty inflated view of yourself compared to the goodness and love of God. There is no wickedness that you could that will uh, uh, keep you from the love of Jesus. Romans 8 makes that abundantly clear. There's nothing in the physical world. There's nothing in the spiritual world. There's nothing anywhere that can keep us from the love of God. There's only one thing now that will send you to hell. Now that you know the truth, now that you know that God has paid your penalty and he is offering you a free gift, how do you receive a gift? You reach out and take it, right? Not real hard. It's as simple as the ABCs. A, admit you're a sinner. Tell God. You just talked to God. God, I know I'm a sinner. When we talk about uh, confessing our sins, did you know that the word confess literally means to agree with? That just simply means God already knows. And you're just agreeing with him. Yeah, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for that. 
A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe. Yeah, I'm a sinner, Lord, but I believe that Jesus died for me. C, confess. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me for my sins. And I'm putting my faith and trust in you. Let's end with this. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse number 8. Starting in verse number 8. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved. Grace means receiving something you don't deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness of our sins. We don't deserve eternal life. But God's grace is bestowed upon us through Jesus. For by God's grace are you saved through faith. This is hugely important, friends. And this is, this is the final piece of it. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you. Confess your sins. And put your faith in Jesus alone to get you to heaven. There's nothing more you need to do. You put your faith in him. He's already done all the work. You're now trusting him only to get you to heaven. And if someone were to ask you someday, how are you going to get to heaven someday? You say, I put my faith in Jesus. That's how you get to heaven. Put your faith in Jesus. Will you do that? If you've never done that, do it today.